the transition to triathlon. If you're a cyclist, have you thought about making the switch to triathlon? I hear some of you saying already, nope, no, uh, uh, nada, no way, not happening, don't care. But what if I told you skeptics or people that weren't interested that you wouldn't even make a successful transition anyway? Would you believe me? I mean, there's only ever been one cyclist who has done well at Ironman level or the Nautilus Triathlon, as it was called back then. And that guy is John Howard, an established cyclist with four U.S. National Road Championships and two Summer Olympic Games to his name before he took up the challenge of Ironman Triathlon. Coming in third in the 1980 edition in Oahu, Hawaii, it was a predictable result and a trend we will explore in this episode. John crushed the ride with a time of 4 hours and 18 minutes, 35 minutes faster than the winner. But his swim of 1 hour 51, he was dead last out of the water and a full hour behind the winner. And his run was 4 hours and 13 minutes, 43 minutes slower than the winner. That's not the entire story though, as John changed his training and returned the next year. We'll find out his results a little later in the show, though. On this episode, we're trying to understand the difficulty of transitioning from cycling to Ironman triathlon. We'll take a look at some former pro cyclists turning to Ironman and how they fare. We'll also get behind the reasons why almost all cyclists struggle to get results in Ironman, and if you're going to make the jump, how you can increase your chances of success. It's approaching 7 a.m., and we're standing on the pier in Kailua Kona on the Big Island, awaiting the start of the International Nautilus Triathlon. Swim coordinator Mo Matthews is ready with the gun, so let's watch the start of the triathlon. Imagine coming out of the swim in last place, even knowing you could ride better than everybody else. This was the position John Howard was in 1980. And as I mentioned in the intro, he went on to finish third that year. Not bad considering another soon-to-be endurance sport legend, Ned Overend, in his pre-cycling days, was also in that race. And despite his running background, Overend had just run a two-hour, 28-minute marathon before this race. The swim and the bike in the Ironman turned Overend from a runner to a walker, and he finished last in 23rd spot. John didn't take this defeat lightly, though, and went about training for the following year, which also happened to be the first time Ironman was run on the big island of Kona. By the time race day rolled around, he was ready. The 1980 winner's time in the swim was 51 minutes. And the swim is where it can all fall apart. And you wouldn't be wrong thinking swimming is possibly a cyclist's weakest sport. After all, the average road cyclist's arms are not dissimilar to a T-Rex with their undeveloped arms splashing about in the water. And maybe ex-cyclists do struggle in the swim. But the time lost is not that great. The current swim record, set in 2018 by Jan Sibbetson, is 46 minutes and 29 seconds, 
approximately five and a half minutes faster than the time set in 1981, and a paper by Romund Lepers that analyzes the Hawaiian Ironman performances in elite triathletes from 1981 to 2007 shows that the average swimming time of the best triathletes decreased rapidly and then plateaued for both males and females. No technological advances took place in swimming because wetsuits have been forbidden at the Ironman due to warm water temperatures, Time performances decreased during the 1980s and tended to stabilize over the last two decades. When John Howard got out of the water in his 1981 race, his time was 1 hour 11 seconds, 40 minutes faster than the year before. The first swimmer is in sight and we'll be back with the finish of the swim. And here comes the leader. He's 26-year-old Tom Schmidt of Pasadena, California. Tom's time will be about 51 minutes, uh, 50 seconds. That's around a minute behind last year's leader at this time, Dave Scott. He's the same person who won the whole contest last year. And here they come. They're looking pretty good. They're, they'll be finishing around uh, an hour, 10 minutes, hour, 20 minutes, something like that. They're washing off, getting ready to go on to the next portion of the race, which will be a 112-mile bicycle race. Picking up their clothes, going into the rooms to change. Now is where we get to the bike leg, the ex-cyclist's strength. Or is it? Before we go any further, I want to introduce you to this guy. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Torsten Radde, or Torsten, yeah, well, the, the English speakers struggle with it, so anything that's close to that will be fine. Torsten, aka The Geek from TryRating.com, is the guy everyone turns to when it comes time to crunch the numbers on triathlon course performance and predictions. He started looking into times and courses as a way to compare the results from different Ironman courses. In the process of this, he has amassed a metric ton of data from Ironman races. So he was the first guy that came to mind when thinking about the ex-cycling pros that have made the transition to Ironman. Well, I mean, you have a couple of current pros that have moved over um, into triathlon. Um, what I found, um, there's there's pretty much a long history of cyclists moving over to triathlon. We spoke a little about John Howard, but we also spoke about a current ex-pro that does really well in the cycling leg. In fact, he broke the Kona course bike record in 2008 with a four-hour, nine-minute and six-second ride. Yes, this chase group has certainly started to come apart. Michael Weiss riding his way up to it as we look at... Cameron Worth, not Andrew Stockwitz, Cameron Worth once again rolling into T2 in the lead and in a new bike course record. There we go in a 4.09. Cameron Worth has just come in now. He gets rid of the bike there. To our Looking bike. back at Cam Worth's short history in Ironman, he seemed to originally follow the common strategy or mindset that cycling is the longest leg, so it doesn't really matter if you can really swim or run where the time will be made up on the cycling leg and he'll just hang on as best he can afterwards. Of course, this is intuitive, but it seems to be the same strategy that John Howard used in his first Ironman and also in his second Ironman, as it seemed to be the same as he quickly took over the lead on the bike. And right now we're in the bicycle park. Here comes the leader at the present moment. He's uh, John Howard of Austin, Texas. Do you think uh, John will be able to build up enough of a lead to go into the marathon still with that wide of a margin? Well, it's early, early stages yet, Rick. Um, this is what he's trying to do, as you can see. 
and um, he's not the best of runners, but uh, hopefully he's going to build up a strong lead in the bicycle part of it. This is his idea. Something Torsten talks about is a move away from this mindset to really be successful in Ironman. He calls it finding your balance. Of, okay, maybe cycling is my strength, but that doesn't mean that that's the leg I have to make up the most time. Maybe I can just uh, take it a little bit easier and then have more power, more strength, more endurance available for the swim and the run. Um, and also, of course, the, the uh, te- technique needed to swim well and so on. So, And Camworth is showing this across his times in his Ironman races. This progression is in his times and maybe even in his mindset. Camworth sets off now toward the hooker on a, on a run course. Now he's off the bike and he still looks pretty good there, Paul. You can generally see an athlete if they're failing right now, but his posture is... Perfect. You know, Cameron Worth came last year just to experience it, to throw down on the bike, reset that bike course record. He has spent the year working on his run split. His marathon has gotten better and better. He has come to this event not only to dominate the bike ride this year, but he is expecting a much better run this year. And I and, and if all indications are holding from his year, it will be much better. With six Ironmans under his belt. He improved his swim time. He was in a much better position coming out of the swim this year than a year ago or or even going back to his earlier Ironman races, he always lost a lot of time in the swim. Now he was, I think, just three or four minutes after the swim leaders after the swim. So that was good. And then um, I think his, his mindset also shifted a bit that, yes, he did write a bike course record, but he did not, you know, put 100% um, into into posting the fastest time possible on the bike because he knew that the run was still coming up. Obviously, cycling seems not to be the problem for ex-cyclists. In fact, someone like Worth is actually slowing down their bike leg to make a faster run. His improvement um, shows that um, people will take him even more seriously uh, a year from now because if he continues to improve at a similar rate, I mean, yeah, to win Kona, you probably need to be able to run sub 250, uh, but he's 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 getting there. His biking strength does not seem to be diminished. I mean, that's also something that you often see if you focus on the run, then you lose a bit of your strength on the other disciplines, especially on the bike. Um, for Cam, that does not seem to happen for now. And uh, his improvement is, is really impressive there. John Howard came off the bike similar to the year before. And here comes John Howard, number 167, the leader in the marathon, already completing his bike race and on the road to the 26-mile marathon. This is Rick Kwan. We're now approaching the Kona Surf Hotel where the changeover is made from the bicycle portion of the triathlon to the marathon. Max, we saw the leader, John Howard, a bit earlier. How did he look? Well, Rick, um, John looked pretty tired. Um, some of the other uh, cyclists that came in were looking in pretty good shape, which is surprising. You know, they've been out in this road for about four or five hours. But John looked a little bit tired. It's uh, going to be very interesting to see how he handles the, uh, the road race itself. After the bike leg is done, it's time for the real deal breaker for cyclists, the run. I have uncovered that this is the most difficult part in making the transition. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one challenge that we haven't spoken about uh, that that is tricky for the cyclists moving into triathlon because um, increasing well, if if you want to run well, you need to have a certain vo- volume of running, um, and 
that volume of running is something that you just can't um, get get there from from not running at all to running 60 miles a week or so. That's just something that's that's very hard to do without getting injured. Uh, the problem with with the cyclists is they're they're aerobically fit enough to really hurt themselves on the run, and hurting themselves could could just be okay. They they're able to train hard, but it might also lead to um, uh, really difficult to uh, overcome uh, injuries like um, bones and tendons just take a while to adapt to the um, the demands of running uh, a, a big volume and um, that's something that takes years to develop and that sometimes the cyclists are not the the most patient uh, type of people when they're moving into the sport. <laughs> so the big question is why? Why is running such a big problem for ex-cyclists? And from my investigation, it mostly comes down to your engine as a cyclist is large from cycling, but the frame, your body, is probably weak. And here is where I have some actionable tips for you if you're going to try and make a successful transition to triathlon. The problem people with a good cardiovascular base encounter when they start running is that their heart is more than up for the job, but their muscles, tendons, and bones are not, as running is a high-impact activity, and this takes some time to adjust to. So for the first few months, run slowly. You should be able to keep a conversation going at almost all times. It's okay to get winded on the uphills, but all other times, run slowly. And start with no more than three days of running per week. Add in another day after a couple of months, and running two days in a row every once in a while is okay, but it's easier to stick to every second day. For the first few weeks, keep the length at 30 to 45 minutes at a time, 30 for two of your runs and 45 for the third. Again, go slowly. Plan to take a year to build up to 80 kilometers or 50 miles a week or so. Technique-wise, it would be a good place here to get some running technique coaching. But basically, you want to learn to run with the lowest impact on your body. Keep your steps short and land under your center of gravity. Do not try to extend your foot far from the front of your body. Also, you should try not to land on the heel first. Rather try to land on your whole foot or land on your forefoot and then let the heel come down before taking off again. In the case of John Howard, he was able to pull it all together. And here comes Howard towards the finish line. He's waving his arms triumphantly. And Max Shelford is at the finish line waiting for the winner. John, congratulations. How do you feel, my friend? I'm totally physically, mentally shattered. That's all I can say. John, which event did you find the toughest of the three of them? The run. No question about it. I don't think you'd hear a different answer from anybody that just did it. Are you disappointed that Dave Finding your transition balance is not easy, but spending time building up your running is going to be time well spent when thinking about making the transition to triathlon.
it's time once again for The Chaser, the segment of the show where I talk about something that will help you chase down your goals, whether it's a product, study, or performance tip. This week, the Theragun. If you can imagine the love child of a hand drill and a hammer, then you start to get the picture of the Theragun. What is essentially a beefed-up handheld massager is doing some serious work to your muscles. Take a listen to it in action. Actually, that's a jackhammer. Here's the actual Theragun. I've seen it in action, so the sound isn't so terrifying, but I can imagine if you've never seen this thing and your physio gets it out and turns it on, you would be scared and you'd want to run out of the room. In all honesty, it's not that scary, but what it is for and does it work, and most importantly, will it help you reach your cycling goals? For starters, it's going to cost you nearly 600 US dollars. And this may be only six or seven massages, but the question is, what does the Theragun do that other massages that are a fraction of the price don't? The claim is that it's going to help you increase your range of motion, at the same time decreasing your pain, says Dr. Jason S. Wurzland, a chiro and creator of the Theragun. He also claims that its efficiency is higher because of the frequency and amplitude. Unfortunately for us, there isn't any real information about the device's real efficacy. And being just a more sophisticated massage device, even when there is some truth that different frequencies may have different effects on how muscles heal and relax, there is no compelling research at the moment saying that one frequency of vibrational amplitude like that of the Theragun is better or more efficient than another. So I can't give you a definitive answer on the claims, but let's break down the type of therapy it uses. It's called percussive therapy, and compared to techniques like foam rolling and massage, it works the body-brain connection to change the relationship with pain, which apparently works when you introduce something to the body that's higher frequency or stimulus. The body has to pay attention and do something about it. It's a beefed-up deep tissue massage that claims to speed up the process of working out muscle knots. It's not really a self-serve tool, though. You cannot reach around and aim it at your back, for example. But for a cyclist, legs wouldn't be a problem, though. I honestly, though, don't see a need to use one over the long term. Yes, if you're training hard, you might get sore, but the pain is not something that can be fixed, rather just managed. So even if this product was proven to work better and faster, I'm not sure it's worth the price and the hassle for cyclists. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and tell your riding buddies. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next episode or out on the road. Unlike a lot of these athletes, this is some kind of an endurance contest, uh, probably the ultimate endurance contest. And to me, that's, that's a challenge. And to do that better than anyone else is important to me. And I personally would regard that on a par with an Olympic gold medal, possibly even above that. So uh, uh, I'm competing because... Uh, I feel that this is an important event.